Welcome everybody to the Haunted Hacker podcast number, Chip, give me a number between 300 and 400. This is going to be number 400. 400, cool. Nice even number. Um, so let me start off with a little bit of news. Uh, I'll be doing TechStrong uh, Predict 2022 uh, in early next year. Uh, me and Donovan um, from Alias uh, will be doing a, a joint talk, I believe, and I'll be speaking for ICE in January as well. <clears throat> and uh, we just had uh, a podcast this week. Um, it was the birthday podcast. And we had Dr. Chase Cunningham on a really good conversation. And earlier this week, we had, or last week, we had um, the film that I wrote uh, with Alyssa Knight that went into production and the trailer is out on YouTube. Look for that early January or early 2022. And I'm working on the second screenplay uh, for another cybersecurity company. And that should be coming out fairly shortly. Um, other than that, not a whole lot of news. I saw that another foreign, uh, I guess they were a lawyer, a lawyer crew that got busted with uh, by the NSO with the malware. The NSO puts out the Pegasus um, and it made the news. So Pegasus is still floating around. Uh, Jonathan Scott and I talked about that on Aaron Bregg's uh, podcast, uh, the charity podcast. It's really interesting to see how far of a reach the NSO uh, Pegasus malware has come. Um, anyways, tonight we have Chip Harris and good friend of mine, good friend of the podcast. Um, Chip, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you're doing now? Sure. My name is uh, Chip Harris. Um, I've been uh, in the cybersecurity community kind of under wraps uh, for almost uh, 26 years. So I'm kind of, uh, um, uh, the reason why you can't see me and the reason why I have video on is, um, I'm actually operational right now at this time. So everything is basically going to have to be no pictures pretty much for the NSL and all the stuff that I signed over last week. And I think you saw the ream of paper that I had to go through just to talk to you. <laughs> so <laughs> it has been, uh, it has been interesting, and we finally got all this lined up. So I'm, I'm, you know, feel very fortunate to be here on the podcast today, and I am looking very much forward uh, to some of the talkings about of uh, things that are going on in our community. So um, I am basically two generations of poor white trailer trash tornado bait from Tupelo, Mississippi. I grew up in a military family, you know, and uh, did not have, you know, the best of childhoods but the one thing is, is uh, about my childhood is in that i uh, thank my father for is i grew up uh in it and in counter surveillance counterintelligence uh my dad was a di instructor you know so he trained drill instructors to be drill instructors so we went to about seven states and 22 different countries until i was about uh 16 years old so we went everywhere we made a circle around the globe um and then after i uh, graduated from uh uh, what do you call preparatorial school here high school um i went uh, to become a private military contractor after september 11th and uh spent the better part of 18 years uh going to every single war zone you could imagine um i got shot twice stabbed three times hit with an ied and a rocket and decided you know what i've lost uh, half of my leg uh lost my eyes some fingertips Got a lot of metal put through me, uh, had about seven major surgeries and decided, you know what? I am done with this. I'm going to come back to the canal of the United States, uh, which I did, uh, spent about a year in physical therapy and then, uh, 
to finish out my contract, you know, with the company I was working for, I did two years uh, investigating the CLOA and the Juarez drug cartels on how they move uh, drugs in and out of the country. So uh, after that was done, I said, you know what? I can do all this from home. Hey, I can set up my own data center and all my remote stuff here. I, you know, this is pre COVID. So, you know, working from home was really, you know, the, the thing that I saw uh, as the future of where things were going, because I really liked it. You know, we're all adults here. And as long as we have zoom and, you know, teams and email, you know, and internet connection, you can do your job, you know, just about anywhere. So uh, I built out my uh, home here, uh, server room and built out my pen testing lab and, you know, 3D printer and drone and everything and whatnot. So that, you know, uh, uh, pre-COVID was traveling about uh, 40% of the year for engagements, you know, mostly in the medical industry. Uh, because uh, when I came back to the U.S., I think, Mike, you and I agree, the two things that needed the most cybersecurity since basically 2005, you know, has been healthcare and banking. I mean, it's just, it was painted all over the wall. So when I got back in 2015, I was like, you know, that's exactly what I'm going to aim my career towards because, you know, people are always going to steal money and uh, everybody gets sick and dies. So there you go. <laughs> so, and the, they were just so far behind because of, you know, uh, care regulation, deregulation, you know, things that were happening, you know, uh, we saw, you know, FIPS come into play. We saw PCI and then we saw in the banking industry where they had a complete flip-flop after TARP, you know, after the 2007, you know, economic fallout, you know, and uh, regulation, you know, that had been uh, instituted and rewritten. So I was like, man, this is, this is, this is security of bounty, you know, and there's plenty of money to be made out there. Uh, and that's what I've been doing since 2015. Uh, I now work uh, for a contract, you know, uh, where I'm operational right now uh, for the NIH and the CDC working on a cyber modernization program for them. And uh, I am finishing up right now my teaching contract for the University of Arizona, where I teach postgraduates that are graduating to get their master's degree. Uh, and I'll be finishing up that uh, probably in the next week and a half. And all of that content and stuff that I've worked for, you know, for them for the past uh, four years is going into a textbook, you know. So I'm, I got to put you on my bucket list. Hey, I created content for a textbook, you know, uh, for teaching. So I really enjoyed that, you know, uh, but the time has come for me to spend some time with my family on the weekends instead of typing, you know, uh, play with my cats, you know, uh, see my family kind of, you know, do the dad thing, you know, because I have a nine-year-old half-angel, half-terrorist little girl that, you know, says, Daddy, get off the computer, come play with me, and pretty much means it. So, you know, it's a, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride, as uh, some would say. It sounds like it. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the uh, Sinaloa cartel. Uh, I ran into a group of people in Monterey, Mexico, where the Zetas and the Sinaloa um, actually congregate and do battle. Uh, oh, really yeah. We went to a uh, restaurant there and I had to get wanded down with the metal detector before we could even go into the restaurant because it was pretty uh, for, much primarily owned by Sinaloa. Well, my, uh, well, we were investigating how they move, you know, 40 metric tons a day of cocaine, heroin, and illicit drugs into the continental United States and fentanyl and whatnot. I mean, and, and the thing is, is 20% you know, uh, that is caught, you know, uh, at the border sometimes, sometimes not. But, you know, uh, 80% of the opioids that are produced in the world, America consumes. 
I mean, Absolutely. that's just a given yeah. e- either medically, you know, illegally, you know, uh, or by a doctor. I mean, it, if you, and if you just want to look at the Pfizer, you know, uh, what they did, I mean, that's just tip of the iceberg. I mean, that's nothing, but as I tell people, you know, the drug cartels have server rooms, data centers, they do counterintelligence, counter surveillance, you know, they burn, have burner phones. I mean, they use Google analytics because everything that they do is basically just like FedEx and UPS. You just don't see it. I mean, it's a huge gigantic logistics operation, yeah, you know, is. on moving the stuff into the United States that no one ever sees. So, you know, and my job was to track down, you know, how this is all done and then where all their money goes. Um, so I was in the Panama Papers. You know, I, a lot of the evidence I did was actually, you know, uh, digitally done against El Chapo. So, you know, uh, that was uh, that was kind of fun. But, you know, uh, hanging out and moving every four days to another hotel room because, you know, the military priests down there are corrupt. The federal police down there are corrupt, you know, and. We were working in junk in, in conjunction with the uh, Mexican government, you know, uh, and some of the higher up people that were trying to find out, you know, how the head of the snake works, you know, and then chop that off. And then guess what? Three days later, somebody else takes it over. We well, got to tear down the whole operation all at one time. So it's not like you can just take out one person and then it's all over with. No, it's like you got to take down like. 40 to 50 people at a time so they wanted to make sure that i was safe so for almost two years i went from hotel room to hotel room all throughout mexico you know investigating all this stuff so after that i was like i was like no more i'm done and then uh with my national security letter and uh so forth that i signed over to the government i can never go to mexico ever again like i cannot cross the border have yeah, no had, reason to. <laughs> they, they caught they caught another shipment on the border uh, this week. It wasn't uh, it wasn't drugs or, or weapons. It was an actual uh, guy, a Saudi Arabian, that had ties with uh, some Yemeni people of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, which we dealt with that uh, at the Joint Force Intelligence Command, watching Iraqis come across the border, the southern border. Um, so it's really interesting in a dynamic. So Dr. Chase Cunningham and I were talking about how geopolitics plays into cybersecurity and how, oh, a, lot people, how, oh, how a lot of people yeah. don't understand that. And yeah. uh, it's really interesting because if you look at, you know, the, the different APTs and, and he made a good point, the fact that a lot of people don't understand is that the U S is an APT as well. I mean, we're just right. as guilty of, you know, pulling the trigger as anybody else. Um, well, I can't but, say anything, but we're in the top five. I mean, yeah. you know, we're up there. I mean, you've got China, of course, You've got Iran, um, you know, you've got uh, the Russian syndicates and Russia themselves, you know, and the United States, you know, and Britain is not, you know, not saying they're not sinners either because they are, you know, they spy on their own people worse than anybody, you know, so they're, you know, (laughs) your civil rights are right out the window because, oh, they don't have civil rights. Never mind. We can spy on them anyway, you know, in in Britain. Uh, I think it was in London. I mean, uh, I was meeting with uh, some of the, you know, people that were there. And I was just amazed about how many cameras are on poles all around London, South London, North, no matter where you guys like going, you people are the most surveilled, you know, peoples I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, they're, they're actually the they're actually the most surveilled country in the world. The UK is. The, and oh, yeah. The, the city with the most cameras is London. That's the most surveilled city. Oh, yeah. Um, it just blew me away. I was like going, geez, you guys have no privacy, you know, whatsoever. I mean, none. 
but uh yeah geopolitics plays into everything that uh pretty much i do you know um i was telling people like you know if you just saw the attacks that i see on a daily basis on some of the firewalls you know your assholes would turn to buttermilk and you would just shit yourself i mean it's just unreal how many attacks you know that we're defending against and how creative they are you know i mean it's not just one thing it's not like it's you know a one single ddos attack i mean there's multiple different vectors uh from everything i've ever seen and studied you know for almost 26 years you know that's attacking all these different systems you know at different times it just amazes me you know since we live in the biggest glass house you know, that doesn't, that doesn't come, you know, tumbling down on us sometimes. Yeah, I think it's interesting how we focus on IP, but we forget about the more legacy technology that can be even more dangerous, like RF. Um, Absolutely. People, people tend to, to avoid that. But outside the U.S., take, for instance, GSM. GSM in the U.S., um, AT&T and, and uh, T-Mobile are known to have GSM. Uh, but outside the U.S., everybody has GSM. Right. Um, and you want to talk about some vulnerabilities. GSM is loaded with vulnerabilities and the ability to eavesdrop and, you know, inter intercept calls, um, all kinds of stuff. It's just really vulnerable. Um, but yeah, the, the, the way that we look at IP and, and the way that we try to find that silver bullet, you know, with AI or ML, uh, what are we doing for the old legacy stuff? You know, unless you build your building in a Faraday cage, um, you're kind of screwed. Oh, yeah. Spectrum warfare is very big, you know, and, um, you know, I uh, deal and I talk to my students a lot about, you know, um, when these people come to kill us, you know, we're going to be, you know, fat and lazy sitting on the couch watching TV or texting on our phone or twatting or twittering ourselves, you know, and, you know, the power is going to go off and it is going to be nasty. I mean, and, you know, things are going in these because I deal in IT and OT systems, you know, so IT, of course, being information technology and OT dealing with anything that deals with SCADA based systems, you know, uh, and as I explain to people, you know, I'm like, what do you do in your job? And I'm like, well, I protect OT systems, which you know, I have to admit are legacy based systems. I mean, really old systems. And these OT systems, you know, are for everything from steam boilers down to electricity and power, you know, and they're run by SCADA based systems, which are these small little, basically about the size of a lunchbox, you know, that's a controller that, you know, does these certain things, you know, well, if you get into those systems and destroy them, you lose power, water, I mean, nuclear facilities. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, um, you know, that is what I do now is I'm working on cybersecurity for these really 30 year old systems that are now trying to get up to, you know, by presidential mandate, as well as new laws that have been passed to get into the 20th, you know, to get out of the 20th century and get into the 21st century. Yeah. And it's true because the, the different uh, power grids in the U.S., um, you know, I worked in electric companies for a while in the power industry. And looking at some of the equipment that they had, um, some of the distribution centers actually use Windows NT uh, to monitor oh, and yeah. actually control the systems. And talk about archaic, like you can't just take down the grid in Texas and revamp it with, you know, the newest and greatest because that's, I mean, that's a complete overhaul. Right. Talk, talk about outages. You know, the those deadliest fire that in California history that burned, what, 100,000 acres was basically caused by a power line falling off a of J-hook. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, it was a 40, I mean, it's amazing. Like, like the campfire and the Northern West fire that happened, you know, that just, I mean, 
burned acre and, and, you know, destroyed homes and destroyed, I mean, destroyed a whole town, you know, was caused by a wire falling off a hook that was 30 years old, hit the ground, sparked, started a fire, you know, uh, and it's just like, wow, you know, why was that cable buried underground? Well, that cable was run on a telephone pole that was put up 30 years ago. I mean, you know, and if you've never worked in a bucket truck and you've never run lines, I mean, I worked with a, a company called Tyco Telecom, mm. which some people have or haven't heard of, but um, I did six months with them uh, running deep sea cable across the ocean floor. And that was probably one of the most hardest jobs I ever had to do as a contractor because we were trying to get Afghanistan basic internet services and basic phone services. And people were like, what? I'm like, yeah, there's no copper or fiber in that entire country. You know, we had to start here and run it literally across the ocean floor to California to get it hooked up, you know, and you wouldn't believe how many routers and switches, you know, are on the ocean floor. (laughs) And I learned about splicing fiber, you know, and all, I mean, it was an education like I had never had in my entire life and I loved it. Uh, but you know, it's like, if you've never you know, had to climb a pole and, you know, you never had to work up on a D mark or do punch downs or anything like that, you just don't get it. You, yeah. you know, and as I tell my students, I can't just pour that, you know, knowledge into your head. You physically have to, you know, have a four banger and understand exactly how you're punching those, you know, orange, white, orange, green, white, blue, 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 white, green, you know, brown, white, brown into a patch panel, you know? So yeah, it's a little different than anything that you're ever going to have to deal with when, you know, versus, Oh, I had a crash to server or something over here went wrong in my IT network. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's really hard to control all delete a fucking city, yeah. you know, and restart all of their power, you know, in sewage and, you know, and, and the list goes on and on and on. And, um, you know, that's what I'm dealing with right now because, there was a report that came out last month. I don't know if you saw it, but, um, you know, Newix put it out that, you know, they used to put out something called the black report. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you know, it, you know, cybersecurity needs, you know, people and blah, blah, blah. But OT security, when it comes down to professionals in this line of work, dealing with cybersecurity is in the hundreds. Right. And that just scared me to death. I was like, so you mean to tell me, you know, you know, there's all this yelling and screaming in colleges and universities. We need IT people and RSA and, you know, DEFCON. We need people, 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 people. And in my line of work, there's only hundreds of people that are, you know, can do this. That is the scariest thing in the world to me when, you know, stuff starts to break and fall apart, that there's not going to be a workforce there educated enough to put this stuff back together again. Yeah, a, a good uh, a good place to look for training for that as well. Um, I'll plug uh, Sandia National Labs. They mm-hmm. uh, they're pretty good, and Idaho oh, National yeah. Labs as well. Idaho National Labs has a red team blue team symposium where you go in and, and there's probably a classroom of like thirty students maybe, and uh, based on your abilities they'll they'll separate you into blue and red team, and then you'll mm-hmm. fight over a SCADA system. Uh, and it's it's really interesting. It's still going strong. Uh, you know, it was uh, a lot of fun for me. Um, a lot of things that, that I didn't know back then uh, that are pretty prevalent today. Uh, we practice on those. And, you know, the, the coolest thing to do, like, so there's a lot of manufacturers out there that, that are, you know, have SCADA systems or mock SCADA systems for their devices. And you can get a demo version. And that's what I used to do is get demo versions of SCADA systems. 
set up my own little PLCs and go to town on them. And that's how I learned how to do, you know, industrial systems. Yeah. I uh, showed my wife and my uh, child when I was like, this is a breadboard. And they're like, huh? You know, I'm like, watch this. You run these wires in here and I can make this thing light up. And they're like, wow, that's really cool, dad. And I'm like, yeah. And this is what, you know, we're trying to fix. You know, this is the stuff that I'm working on, you know, to make sure that, you know, uh, your, your power comes on, you know, whatnot. Cause you know, uh, now we have digital meters, you know, and I'm like, Oh God, that's the most scariest thing in the world, you know? And if you go out and you look at the meter that's on your house, you're going to see the old spinny kind versus the digital meter. Well, that digital meter, you know, is, uh, connected to an internet connection that's connected to your water and power company. And if they go boom, boom, <laughs> you kiss your, kiss your light and your power. Goodbye. You know? Yeah. And I think so, that's coming up. I think that's actually yeah. coming up. I think the, the threat for the grid, um, just in general, or the grids, there's five total in the U S I think that the threat towards that, um, is pretty great right now. Well, uh, I, testified you know back in 2016 to you know um uh FERP, NERP, SIP, the, all these regulatory committees uh i wrote a paper that got a lot of attention and it went from being unclassified to classified really quick because you know my job is to think like a bad guy you know i'm a red teamer i'm a certified ethical hacker i'm a pen tester forensic investor and uh, auditor so like as my boss says i'm like this magical force that comes in and tells you all the evil things that can happen you know to and within your system you know if you don't patch or do these certain things to fix these things and you know uh we have spent a lot of time dealing with the the national grid as well as they call subs so in for your audience that don't know the subcontract you know and substations and subsidiaries take big power and break it into localized power. So, you know, you've got your local right. or county-based power company that's getting, you know, and buying services from the big, bigger, big company. So it's kind of like, as I tell people, you know, and the analogy I always use, it's like the, you know, when you had Ma Bell, you know, you had the big, the phone company in air quotes, right? Versus now you got Bell South, Bell North, you know, and all these other, the smaller ones still have to, get you know uh permission from daddy you know as i say to buy power to give to you you know so in my area uh because i live in the state of mississippi we get all of ours from tennessee you know tva tennessee valley authorities they give us our power right down the street uh, yeah yeah and let me tell you something dealing with them is like dealing with satan themselves they are you know first off you know archaic and corrupt uh, you know, and I came in there and I did, you know, some testing for them and whatnot. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, let's leave it alone. It ain't broke. Don't fix it. You know, kind of, you know, mentality. And I'm like, do you know if I took this one system out, the whole East Coast goes down? And they're like, yeah. All right. Whatever. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll just put that on the next audit. You know. Yeah. They've, they've actually got a really big complex literally just right down the street from me. And actually, mm-hmm. we had a get together last night for uh, my birthday. And there was a guy from uh, TV PVU that was there and was talking about IT. Um, definitely not in the cybersecurity realm, but uh, you know he had experience in, in project project management for IT systems, basically. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a pretty big uh, team over there. Um, but again, you know when you deal with with utilities, you know cybersecurity is fairly new in that realm. It's not something yes. that that they've had for, for years and years. Uh, my dad was an executive at Calpine 
And mm. some, some of the things that he would tell me about, you know, their systems, the way things worked, um, really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I got out of electricity and, and power distribution is because first of all, I didn't want to climb poles all my life. And second of all, I realized that there was a, <laughs> there was a greater need for those services and it wasn't on a pole. It was behind a computer. Absolutely. Um, my dad was a sadist, um, you know, child beating racist asshole. But the one thing he taught me was this is a computer. He took my first computer apart, which was an Amiga down to the case level and said, put it together. So like, you know, on Hanukkah, I was like, oh, wow, man, I got 30 something presents. Well, I normally get seven. No, your one present is this, put it together, you know, and, uh, you know, and it still amazes me. Like, you know, when I start talking to students, um, you, you know, uh, I ask them, you know, uh, when you go to www.whateverthehell.com, walk me through that whole process, you know, tell me everything that you can about the ISO model and, you know, how this works and, you know, how, and, you know, how does this email or how does this worldwide web work, you know, and go, you know, and uh, they can't do it. They can't explain it. You know, they don't understand packets. They don't understand how stuff travels, you know, from this. They don't understand the, you know, uh, ISO model from this level to this level, you know, from the application to, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's sad, you know, um, and uh, I agree with you. I mean, the, the, this is something, in, especially in the power distribution in water, light, electricity, OT needs, first off, a lot more regulation and help and money to be put into because this stuff is incredibly expensive. I mean, infrastructure cost money millions of dollars to do this kind of stuff you know when they talk about you know the i saw the tornadoes you know blown away all these places in kentucky and i'm like you know the first thing they gotta do is get what water and power right so are, are you going to start you know doing the same thing over again that failed you or are you going to do something new um you know and that's always one of those interesting things that i see when you see uh, tornadoes and hurricanes and all that kind of stuff natural disasters kind of put everybody on an equal playing field you know, doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or whatever, but guess what? You know, when the hand of God goes, you know, and wipes out everything, you know, and you get to start fresh, you should start off, you know, on something better than you originally did. You know, wow, we could actually use green power for some of this. We could actually use cogen and, you know, we could use different distribution methods and whatnot. You know, oh, what about instead of putting up light poles, we bury the cables like they do yeah. in Europe. I mean, that'd be smart, you know. Uh, but do, that they, never happens. <laughs> they do that in Texas quite a bit, bury the uh, distribution cables um, yeah. because it's safer underground. But you bring up a, a good topic. You know, once the, the grid fails, how many people are going to be able to communicate and what's that communication going to look like? I can tell right. you it's going to be it's going to be RF. It's going to be just like it was uh, right after 9-11. Um, amateur radio operators went into New York and helped. Oh, yeah. Help people get communications out. So a lot of people don't don't think ahead when it comes to failures of the internet or you know a single point of failure when it comes to electricity and or the I, internet. You know what happens? Yeah. I mean, the, the I mean we all saw what ha what happened with Amazon when they changed their code by accident. Oops! You know the the giant fell, and I mean look at the ripple effect. You know Apple TV, all this kind. You know, and uh, you had I mean a lot of these sites that went down. You know and whatnot. And I'm like, well, that's what happens when one of the giants fall. You know, I mean look what happens. And uh, there's um, a really good book. Uh, you know, written uh, it's called Lights Out by Ted Koppel. 
-hmm. if you ever get to read it. Because, I mean, Ted Koppel, I mean, first off, is probably one of the, you know, he's up there as one of the best interviewers on the planet, you know, next to Tom Brokaw and some of that stuff. But he wrote this book, you know, uh, called Lights Out, not plugging it. I don't get any money out of it. But, I mean, it was so interesting when he talks about, like, okay, the power grid goes off and, you know, we only have trains and a little limited of distribution to be able to get water and food and you know, sanitation taken care of. And, you know, and, uh, he was, uh, talking about, you know, what we have to do to survive this and that, uh, you know, Richard Clark, you know, if y'all don't know who that is, who is actually one of my, yep. Actually is one of my mentors. I worked for him for three years. We wrote stuff about this in white papers and stuff like this and, you know, gave it to the government and all they did was put it on a damn shelf, you know, and uh, we've turned around, you know, and I think a lot of that stuff has become unclassified, you know, and, and it's going into the general public to debate about this stuff. You know, it shouldn't yes. be done in a, in a in a closed room. You know, it should be open to the public to talk about these things. You know, I, um, I, I took lessons learned from the military and started building my backup plan based on what we did in the military. And mm-hmm. there, there's there's a system out there for everything that fails whether it's water, electricity, whatever, um, there's field manuals that can teach you how to create a system that will replace those, you know, internet right. connected, you know, means whatever. But, you know, I just got handed a uh, article, you know, some, some, some words on paper from a friend of mine, um, no names that was talking about possible insurrection in 2024. Uh, and it was right. an alert to military officials to prepare for an insurrection in 2024. Um, which is kind of scary, you know, and we saw January 6th. We saw what happened then. I, that's, that hurts my soul because, I mean, you know, um, when I saw that happen, I cried. I mean, I, I, I admit it, I, cry, I wept like a child and said to myself, all my friends that went over there and got killed, me damn near getting killed, you know, uh, me getting as beat up as I am, you know, and, and losing. I've lost time. Mike, you know, and that's the one thing that you never get back. I tell that to everybody. It's like, you know, if I cut off your arm or gave you, you know, a million dollars, would you much rather have your arm for another year or a million dollars? You're going to take the arm, you know, that's time. That's the time variable. And I saw, you know, uh, and we're coming up on a year, you know, of this investigation and, you know, a year after this has all happened, you know, and uh, it, 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 it breaks my soul to see, you know, what has happened, you know, to, um, this country. I'm not a political person. I'm be political. I blame both parties. I blame a lot of this shit, you know, that could be fixed if people would get off their ass and do it and spend it, it, just to spend the money, you know, and it's all about green paper. That's what I tell people. This is a green paper problem, you know, and, uh, we could fix these things, you know, but until, and I, and Chris Roberts has said this, I have said this, you know, in OT technology, when things screw up, people die. Right. I mean, people end up dead. And in this country, we just have this short attention span like ADD. I mean, and until you take a baseball bat and whack them in the face, do they not understand? Yeah. And After you, that, you pretty much get their attention. And they start, you know, listening. Yeah. When you, when you look at uh, just recently, Cuba, this little small country oh yeah barely exists um has been caught in our infrastructure you know and Mm -hmm. to me that's shocking you know now cuba has the capability of getting into our critical infrastructure and are there um but we all know that people have been in our critical infrastructure for a long time 
But I think the reason why they haven't flipped the switch is they know once they flip that switch, there's no going back. Because well, that, that's true. That will it, drop a bomb. Yeah, that old big nuclear bomb that will turn that country into glass. Um, don't get me wrong. They're, they're, that will make the Cuban Missile Crisis look like nothing because that is definitely you know a no going back scenario to where you know mutual destruction is given. But I tell people this all the time, and I get asked this by you and you know where do you see these things happening? You know what's going to happen to our our infrastructure and stuff right now? Well, right now it's what you can get away with. You know, literally, you know, on the internet, what you can get away with is what you can get away with. Um, and uh, to kind of give you an example, with, let's go back in the way back wind machine to Stuxnet, you know, uh, and when the, when it got out on who did what and where, right, we're not saying any countries did what, you know, Iran uh, attacked a Saudi Ramco and took out 30,000 computers. Yep. I mean, just erased them all. And then they hit our banking infrastructure. So it was like, okay, if you can do it to us, we can do it to you. So it's a tit for tat kind of warfare when it comes down to that. But, you know, I think on the table right now is that, you know, uh, if, especially if you look at, you know, how uh, Russia has attacked, you know, um, uh, the Balkan stakes, you know, and especially the Ukraine and has turned all their power off and whatnot and has been jacking with them for years and using them as a test bed for, you know, a cyber incursion. Uh, the same thing can happen here. Now, do we want the question being is, do we want to do that? Do we want to go down that road? Uh, now we're standing on the road and we're looking down it right now. You know, uh, it's just, do we have the will to go to that far to where it's like, I'm going to invade, like basically invade your country and turn off all your power to your cities and turn off your water and your water treatment. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, we are uh, three days away from anarchy. You know, I've always believed that, you know, that if you don't eat for three days or you don't bathe for three days or you don't have clean drinking water for three days, anarchy rules. You know, I mean, that is the, the will of, you know, to survive. Um, and I don't want to see that in our culture. I don't want to see that in the United States. I don't want to see that in any, any country to where, you know, that has become the overall solution of mutual destruction. I mean, if you, if you look at Katrina after Katrina hit, oh God, you know, yes, the amount of chaos that, that ensued directly after that storm. I mean, Americans Absolutely. just are not prepared for that type of environment because we have it so well. I think a lot of people take, you know, take it for granted. And then when something like that hits, and you lose those luxuries, you, you lose those necessities like water or power, um, and there's no end in sight, you know, people tend to get a little itchy. Um, and with the U.S. and the government, you know, I, I hated to see what happened on January 6th, but, you know, if you look at other empires around the world throughout history, they all implode on themselves. And we, we've oh, yeah. set it's the stage and we've set the table with a nice <laughs> silverware, and it's going to happen eventually. Um, but I think yeah. we're a lot closer than what most people realize. I, I kind of agree with that, you know, and that's not just the paranoia, you know, within, within me, mm -hmm. um, you know, you look, it's like, you know, uh, Rome didn't fall in a day, you know, it, it, it took a little bit of time, you know, to get, you know, fat and happy, but I look at, you know, the generation that I'm working with and teaching now these millennials and everything, you know, I came from, you know, uh, generation X, I was born in, you know, the seventies where it was like, Oh, I cut my knee, suck it up, buttercup, you know, time, time to move forward. You know, the, the, this train doesn't stop, you know, and right. your emotions and your feelings, you know, I mean, it's 
nuts. As I told a friend of mine, it's like the U S army now can be taken out by just a pound of gluten, you know, yeah. because they're, they're so pampered, you know, and they don't understand OT and IT security is not for everyone. This yeah. is hard work. You know, nobody gave me a book or anything to say, you know, do this. I started off as a bench tech at comp USA fixing computers. That's how I learned, you know, and then uh, when I, you know, started getting certifications and better jobs and starting learning more and, you know, and uh, I really decided, you know, to put my, a lot of my effort into the war effort, you know, Uh, and that was probably one of the greatest educations I ever got. Cause I mean, I thought I was one tough SOB, not when people are shooting at you, you know, (laughs) it's makes, you know, when you're, when you were operational in the field and, you know, and you were actively working with these operators, you know, that are professional killers, you know, you learn very quick what you can and can't do. And you learn your limits very, very quickly. Um, You know, and I've, I've passed a lot of that on in that education, not only to my daughter, but to a lot of the people that I interact with, because, you know, um, I, you know, this lady told me last week, she goes, you were Satan incarnate. Oh my God. How could you think of these things? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, look, these people are not going to throw flowers at you when they attack your network. You know, these people are coming in here to harm, disrupt, steal your intellectual property, wipe your server, steal your service now data, you know, steal all of your, your contract information and completely destroy your network. I'm not going to do anything different than a bad guy would not do. You know, I'm, I, I just think a little bit more outside of the box and I've got an idea of what your vulnerabilities already are, but when you have a nation state, that's going to come after you or, you know, uh, another company that don't, what do you mean mean another company industrial espionage, man, it it is, it keeps me busy, you know, and uh, your, your competition is willing to steal from you. Like you would not believe. Yeah. There's a, she was like you're crazy. And I'm like, no, not, this is what I do for a living. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And there's a, there's a book. I can't remember the name of it. I'm actually trying to find it right now. Um, something like operate like a ghost or hack like a ghost, uh, Mm -hmm. how to hack like a ghost breaching the cloud. Um, you can get on Amazon and you can learn some of the ways that that people hide in the wires and and some of the infrastructure that we use to, to obfuscate Mm -hmm. stuff. And the, the sad thing about it is we don't teach that quick enough to, to kids, right? Um, we don't teach them how to protect themselves and we don't, we don't teach them how to, to look for threats and vulnerabilities. I mean, we right. handed, we handed a two-year-old, uh, an iPad to keep it's them like busy. Handing them a, it's like handing them a gun. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. But I mean, they're learning at such a young age and if they're learning how to use apps at such a young age, how come we can't talk to them when they get a little bit older and, you know, they can comprehend what we're talking about and teach them at a young age what we do and how we do it and why we do it. All right. Um, you know, I, I so agree with you, you know, and the other thing though, too, is, is I'm a full believer in mixing it up, man. Yeah. You know, um, uh, give you an example. You know, you got tattoos. I got tattoos. I remember you when you did not have a beard, when you had that nice baby face, you know, cause I'm determined for two things to happen at every con I go to. One is to shave our industry. We look like dirty old wizards. And the other one is to get them to wear deodorant, to take baths. Like if you can afford this con, you can afford to take a shower and deodorant. You know, <laughs> you're staying in a hotel. Trust me. You know, yep. you don't need to be that gamey because every con I go to, there's always the, the fat IT smelly guy that, you know, that's our stereotype when it comes down to IT security, mm. you know, and uh, I told this to my wife, I was like, you know, I want my daughter to get into IT security, but it's like, 
you know, um, if you are uh, African-American, if you are gay, if you are a woman, you know, you're going to get paid less, you know, and this this industry is so white male generated. It's ridiculous. I don't care if you're hot, pink, purple, plaid, gay, straight, asexual or an alien. You know, if you can you know, contribute to the fight, I'm going to throw you in there. You know, uh, on my team, I've got a guy that uh, looks like he could rip you in half. Um, he sings in a Norwegian death metal band in Las Vegas. Yeah, and he's got purple hair at the tips. He's got lots of tattoos. He has never graduated. You know, uh, he's got a GED. You know, but he has about eighty Cisco certifications. I mean, he can do routing tables in his head. You know, and uh, and I love him to death. I mean, he's the nicest guy you would ever friggin' meet. But you look at him and that stereotype of, oh, my God, this guy's going to bite or rip my head off or rob me comes directly into play. And uh, he is a genius when it comes down to dealing with networking. You know, I love him to death and he's great. He does some great work, you know, and stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't want I, our industry is so judgy right now, you know, because yeah. it's run by a bunch of old white men that sit in a boardroom that are basically managing by Excel spreadsheet and by computer, you know, screen. Actually, they, actually, it's run more by the VC funders and the board. Right. Members. And yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the problem is these, these guys, they never had their hands in it. You know, they've never really done it before. You know, they've, they've not participated, you know, in, in doing some of these things. Now that's that sometimes, so now I'm not saying that's for everybody, I'm saying there's some there's some companies that are rare few to where you get a CTO or CIO or, you know, that has really done the work, you know, that has done paid their dues to do it, you know, but they're the first ones to get flaming yawned, you know, get their head chopped off when somebody gets a breach, you know, they're the first ones that get executed, you know, in the boardroom. And then you get somebody that has not a clue what even an IP address is. And I've had that happen before. I've gone in with a company like, oh, you're the CTO and CIO. And okay, yeah, let's get a little knowledge out of you. They don't even know their, they don't even know IP addresses. They don't know basic lingo, you know, stuff. And I'm like, oh shit, what do I get myself into here? <laughs> yeah. I, actually, I actually had a CISO one time tell me that he had been fighting crime on the internet since before Reagan's era. And he said that over a phone to a potential client. I about lost my shit. Like, is there is there a way I can turn back time and retract your statement for you? Yeah, the computer has only been around roughly thirty years. You know, Um, hell, the fucking car has been around longer than the damn computer. So the he's oh yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah, but those are the people I was like. "Uh." That's the type of stuff you face in business, man. And it's scary enough. That was an oil and gas. So, you know, the, fir- the first uh, touch I had with oil and gas and cybersecurity was after Operation Night Dragon. And mm. I came down to Houston and worked at an undisclosed oil company for HP as a contractor and helped them dig out and build a red team and a red team methodology uh, so they can continuously test their systems. Until then, that was not really a thing on there. They had nothing in place to... to Right. Those tabletops and test those things. And this is a very large global oil company. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this was 2010. I mean, we're not talking like 1997. We're talking 2010. Yeah. I mean, um, I came back and did some work with uh, Gulf Shore International down uh, in Bogalusa, Louis- Louisiana, is where I got onto the oil platform. 
So I was doing IT support and helping do server support for about 13 different oil platforms that are in the, you know, the Gulf of Mexico, you know, so they all meet in Bogalusa. You get on to, but that's what they call a shore. You get onto your first, you know, oil rig, and then they pull it out, you know, with tugboats out there. And, you know, it's like a mini city, you know, it's got its own bath, you know, it's bathrooms, it's got lodging, you know, like a hotel, you know, not that good, but, you know, it's got a rec area, you know, it's got machine shops, everything that you would ever imagine and a comms and server room you know, that's in there. So, um, I jumped from one, uh, had a Huey helicopter that took me to like 13 different ones, really enjoyed it. Good work, good people. Um, this was during like, uh, and I call that pre-surge because after the surge happened in Afghanistan, I couldn't come back because I would normally stay about eight months to a year, maybe almost a year and a half, you know, in country doing stuff. And then I would come back and take about six to eight months, you know, off and work some smaller contracts, you know, for the company I was working with and then go back to Afghanistan. Well, when the surge happened, we didn't leave. I stayed, you know, in country for almost seven years. So, uh, and it was really kind of good to learn, like you're saying, those systems that they were using out in the ocean, because guess what, when they come to land, I learned, you know, like, how do we set up a, you know, a server room in a node, you know, for telecom to be able to do these things in country, you know? So uh, it was a very good learning experience of how to take stuff from the sea and connect it all between country and country and then be able to connect it inland, you know? So, uh, and a lot of the security vulnerabilities and stuff that go with that were unreal. Cause I was like going, you people are using windows XP service pack two for this. Yeah, I mean, that, like that began <laughs> like I, I worked uh, in uh, the oil industry for a little bit doing uh, defense and deploying uh, dark trace. And a lot of the places that I, Oh, that's that some I good stuff. I love dark trace that I went to were actually running began technology. Uh, wow. And if you Google began devices and look at the user accounts and stuff like that, they're in the manuals, 95% of those BGAN devices in the field operating on platforms, oil platforms, maritime, mm -hmm. have the same default credentials. Right. Uh, same thing, ship to shore relays, you know, uh, when I was in the uh, Pacific, I learned about how that all works, you know, with, I mean, these islands that are just numbers that have just basically a huge gigantic telecom room in it, you know, and, uh, that's what it does. It just, you know, of how that cable and it's got a small satellite so they can track it, you know, yeah. uh, and there's no indigenous life, <laughs> you know, it's just this little small Island. That's about three miles around, you know, with, you know, nothing on it except a huge gigantic telecom room, yeah. you know, and, and, and they're like, you can't talk about this. This is a special room. You know, this is Island number, blah, 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 blah. You know? And I'm like, okay, well, what happens here? And he goes, well, if this went down, this would take our connection between here and Japan, you know, all phone calls would end. And I'm like, oh, that's bad. You know, <laughs> so you know, I was like, oh, so that connects Japan, that connects to Hong Kong, that connects to China, that connects to India on this one little bitty effing island. And I was like, OK, that's unreal. You know, so, so looking at 2022, what do you think in your mind? What do you think the biggest threat is in 2022? Well, we have two major things that we need to look at in 22, uh, 2022 when it comes to cybersecurity. First being is our OT technologies and our systems. You know, we have just passed a huge, gigantic infrastructure budget, you know, and these things need to be fixed. 
Um, you know, you wake up every day and you don't realize how much SCADA technology is around you and how effing old this stuff is. You know, it's, you know, it's meant to be last for about, you know, uh, 30 years, but guess what? You know, when it gets midlife at 15, you really need to start looking at how to change that out. So, you know, that is one of the first things that I see is that really us hardening, you know, a lot of those systems and spending money to get in that. And the, the number one thing I say from last year was Colonial Pipeline. Everybody freaked out, you know, and gas prices just went, you know, fucking higher than draft pussy for three days because they were afraid that, you know, uh, nobody was going to be able to get gas on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? The gas in the you know that goes through that pipe goes at about seven miles an hour. It'll get there. The reason why they got so scared was they couldn't be able to bill the states, oh. you know, for all that, and that would have opened up the books for the attorney generals for each individual state to look at their books. Yeah. So that's the reason why they kind of shut some of that down was because they couldn't. They were going to lose money, and you definitely don't want the government looking into private industry and that's our biggest problem Mm -hmm. is that there's that line that's gray between government regulation you know coming in to make sure that people get gas versus you know capitalism and being able to turn a buck yeah and the critical systems on that pipeline were not even touched it was the billing systems uh, right it was 100 percent money yeah. Yep. And that, that's that's what kind of pisses me off because when you look at the way the government approaches ransomware, um, you know they help the large people and the critical infrastructure, but really the everyday person that owns a company, I've seen it more times than than, than I can count on my hands in the last month of smaller businesses getting hit by ransomware in half the fold. And, and you know sad. why? You know why? Is because they can't do shit. They mm-hmm. can't retaliate like a big company can, you know, like say if we're England Merksva, right. You know, that has all these shipping containers and whatnot, we could, you know, uh, sanction our trade with that country and make them feel a little bit of heartburn, you know, spank them on the ass really good. Like I do my five-year-old because it was either good or not good. Right. You know, and she's learned since the age of five, there's good, not good. Now that she's nine, she goes, well, these companies have power over me because they can, you know, regulate and do these horrible things. Well, smaller individual businesses, they don't have that reach, you know, and, you know, oh, well, they did $5,000 over $5,000 worth of damage, and that's now a federal crime. Okay, what are you going to do if that's China? They're not going to do anything. Give a shit. Let's say if it's one of you know, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, the stands, that's what I call them, you know, or you get attacked by, you know, a, a Russian syndicate of hackers. There's nothing you can do. I mean, and, and that's pissed me off of this whole cybersecurity insurance made up crap is because it's a way of just basically, you know, taxing the customer and beating up the customer for something that they say that might or might not happen. And they might or might not pay you back based on, you know, the damage that's been done to your critical infrastructure, your systems and your data, because yeah. your data is the commodity. That's all they're after, yep. you know, after, and uh, people, after your identity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they sit on that for, you know, three to five, seven years, and then all of a sudden they crank it right back up. So what they do is they harvest your data, they cold store it, you know, and then, you know, when uh, Equifax and all these people have quit monitoring your credit, that's when they, you know, unleash themselves upon you and destroy, you know, your credit score and everything and steal all this money, you know, after the that three, five, seven year period that they're monitoring your credit or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think that, and it's this, not fair. It's not fair. No, it's not. I think that this next year, you know, I saw just recently with my own eyes a 
crude oil refinery processing plant get hit with ransomware. And I, I, I truly believe this year, this upcoming year, we're going to see a big impact on the oil industry itself. Um, we've seen issues with it before. It had nothing yeah. to do with ransomware. And I think they know that we're down as a country and our economy is kind of struggling. And I think that's going to knock the wind out of us. I, I think well, yeah. I, yeah. the thing is we're in the middle of, you know, a, uh, a pandemic. Mm-hmm. You got, you know, and people are dependent on guess what? Power, electricity, water. This, this is what's making the business go now is people yeah. are working from home, you know, or they're spending a couple of days in the office here and they're, you know, and they're, or they're working, you know, like they should have been years ago. If you ask me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, doing tele teleworking, you know, and tele telecommuting and then coming in the office every now and then see everybody, you know, and then listen to the office gossip and then go back home and do the real work, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, that's what I see exactly happening. And that just makes everything inside of me from my lower intestine down cringe, is yeah. because guess what's going to happen if something happens like that during an ice storm or a major, you know, uh, weather event where everybody is at home huddled together and they start attacking and power goes off. Look what happened in Texas last year. Yeah. Texas, you know, 200 people died dead. D-E-E-D-E-A-D. Dead, dead, dead in Texas because guess what? They were about what a half an inch from having their entire infrastructure of power completely fall apart. And yep. then the cocksuckers turn around and send people a seventeen thousand dollar bill because they kept their power on and they were doing the right thing. Right. I mean, that's just that that's wrong, you know. Yep. And that, but it happens all the time, and it's it's yeah. <laughs> I think it's I think it's going to be a mix between the oil refinery business and oil production, as well as mobile devices, uh, carrier level, like AT&T, Verizon. Mm-hmm. I think they should be buttoning their hatches pretty tight because I think this next year is going to be a year of smashing the carriers. Well, you know, from the medical industry side that I deal with, one of the hellscapes that I wrote out and put on paper and I gave to him was that, you know, um, one thing, if you get, you know, a COVID test, you know, you have to get that uh, a lab to process that data. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've talked to, you know, many people on, you know, that you've interviewed before. I've talked, you know, to Jax. I've talked to a lot of these different people like, okay, I'm not going to attack the hospital. I'm going to attack the lab facilities that process those COVID-19 or those test results and delay them indefinitely or just wipe them out, you know, because the hospital has a certain, you know, uh, PCI and stuff that they have to follow. Right. But when that data leaves and goes to another facility lab, their security might not be as strong as the hospital that, you know, the data just left from. So, you know, those APIs and that information there is now being housed at a different location to process your COVID information. So what happens if I just take all that out completely and you've got COVID and you just start spreading it like you wouldn't believe, you know, especially the Omicron variant. And, um, you know, we have a lot of people in this country that, you know, don't want to take their shots. It's perfectly fine with me. You'll weed that, that problem will weed itself out eventually. But, you know, as I tell people, you know, this is a, that's one of the things that you have to look at is say, you know, uh, say I take out Meridian labs or I take out American esoteric labs or sonic healthcare USA or a lab facility that processes five to seven thousands of those results every three days. If you don't know, congratulations. And you're sick. You're going to either go to the hospital and die, or you're going to spread it like you wouldn't believe. 
Yeah. You know, and, and I, I see that that's our number two thing that I see happening in 2022 is that we really need to take a look at how our data around our healthcare system is being protected. Well, it's going to be, it's going to get a little bit more interesting. I saw today in the news that a tech company has actually produced a chip that is geared towards uh, your vaccination status um, that they Mm -hmm. can implant. So basically it's scanning a chip in your body to see your vaccination uh, updates. Uh, I, I don't know if I if I would buy into that, and I don't know if I would get it. Um, it sounds a little intrusive to me, but yeah, that's, that's what they're looking for, you know. You know, I, and you know, bio. I, I'm not one of these people that's into bioware, biotechnology. You know, um, I, I use my phone as a phone. I, I don't yeah. use it as a digital lifestyle device. <laughs> you know, I don't wear a smartwatch. You know, that connects to my phone. I mean, that's just to me. That's like why? That's the stupidest thing ever to me. I don't. I mean. I mean, there's lazy and then there's lazy, you know, <laughs> and, you know, you and I have been to enough DEF cons. It's like that wall of sheep lights up for a reason, you know, because <laughs> it's, it's somebody's got their either Bluetooth or Wi-Fi on their phone. And we've sniffed and stored the network enough to find out what frequency you're using. And now you are, you know, on the wall of shame up there. So, you know, you should have had your phone you know, if you're walking into, into an RF bag, <laughs> nobody could be able to do it. Or you should be in your hotel room putting your phone in the microwave so nobody's going to hack it at a con. Exactly. So I kind of giggle about those things because you and I have been kind of old school and we've been doing this long enough. You've been a goon. I have not been a goon. So, you know, there's people out there trying to do some very interesting things in the spectrum warfare, you know, and in the RF world uh, that I see that will definitely impact our communication services, you know, uh, because, you know, uh, we don't really have a standardization like Europe does. Um, uh, Orange, you know, that's over there does like they have a specific emergency channel for when shit goes bad and wrong, you know, which is our problem after 9-11. Everybody was talking on different lines. There was no communication. Nobody could organize because everybody's on different channels trying to orchestrate everything. Well, we've tried to fix that, right? Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do? You know, and that's on the, you know, military and the, you know, uh, civilian side of, you know, uh, law enforcement, you know, and uh, uh, fire. But what are we going to do between, you know, person to person? You know, that, that's going to be a whole new, th- a whole new thing, you know, as uh, securing, you know, your, I guess, VoIP line on your phone to make sure that no one is going to be able when you're talking on your phone to hack into your phone and steal all of your contacts information and whatnot. So, yeah, that's going back to the old days when I started VoIP hacking way back in the day. Oh, yeah, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're at the end of our hour and ship. I, I really appreciate it. Before we go, I wanted to mention uh, a guy that, that sent me a letter this week. Uh, his name is Paul McCowan. He's from Northern Ireland, uh, and he sent me a poster for me to sign and bring, and send it back to him, which Holy I thought crap. was, <laughs> which pretty was cool. really, yeah, it was kind of cool. It was kind of shocking, actually. It was the first time I've been Kind of rock starish. That's pretty neat. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, I, I want to give a shout out to Paul. He's been a listener of the podcast and a fan of what we do for a long time. Uh, you know so what Paul, I'm surprised is Loki has not jumped up on your shoulder anytime soon during this. He's he's been locked up. Um, I've learned that in the pod, podcast time is not the time for him to be in the living room. Um, so he's locked up. And also, I want to uh, thank my employers for sending me a Christmas gift, which was a Secret Lab chair, which is super nice and comfortable. Did they um, send you a chair? They sent me a chair. Uh, 
for going the extra mile, working on incident responses, and just, I guess, doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, well, dude, that's pretty awesome. I yeah. don't get shit. <laughs> I was, I was pretty shocked. I was pretty shocked, but I, I work for a great company and they take care of the employees and uh, we work hard, but we also have a good time. Um, well, yeah, you're, you're like me, you're running a red team, you know, and you got other people that you're responsible for and whatnot. And, you know, as I tell everybody, you know, that gets into this, nobody gets into this without a little bit of villainy in their past, <laughs> you know, yeah, and right. it is nice to get really cool gifts and awards, you know, for doing what we do best mm-hmm. and it, it's hard work and you sacrifice your life. And, you know, for like, especially for people that are like you and me, you know, that are, uh, very, you know, uh, uh, introcentric that look things outside of the box, you know, and we have to be number one. And, you know, we are hyper-focused on getting the needle pushed, you know, forward is that we look at our jobs and everything, you know, as, you know, if that's being hurt or impacted, like the death of our child, because, mm-hmm. you know, because we put so much time and effort and energy into it, you know, and everything comes second, you know, my wife realizes that, you know, these computer screens, everything comes first. She's realized that after 15 years of marriage, there's nothing that she can do about it, you know, except support me 110%. And I owe her a lot of thanks for being able to do that because, you know, I've sacrificed time, effort, and energy and time with family and friends and whatnot, because this, what we do has to come first because it never stops. It never ends. It's a 24 hour, seven day a week, you know, uh, thing. And it's part of our, it's this, the sick thing that we have within us for knowledge, you know, and the truth and being able to produce something that pushes that needle forward to help mankind. Yeah, exactly. Well, with that being said, um, I'm going to go ahead and close it up. Thanks, Chip, for, for being on the show. Oh, I have one request, one sure. request from you on sure. your Discord channel, which is the shit. I love Discord. I love your Discord channel that you have. Mm-hmm. Would you please uh, start a folding at home channel for us? I will. Um, Absolutely. The, the reason why I do that is uh, if just my very quick plug. The only thing I want to plug on the show is uh, folding at home is a um, uh, installer that you can install on your computer that gives a GPU and CPU time uh, to be able to help find cures for cancer, AIDS, you know, uh, Ebola, COVID. you know, uh, yeah, COVID-19. Um, I just had uh, a fire at my server room that was actually hosting my uh, box and I'm in the process of trying to build another box right now. So uh, I did get, I did save all my information. So I didn't lose any of the stuff that I was working on uh, for um, the company that I work with, you know, in correlation with the government agency that I work with. So I saved all my data. Woohoo! Yay. But, you know, we need as many people as we possibly can. Anybody that can hear my voice to go to folding, you know, at home, please install this and then just pick a project that you want, you know, to uh, give your CPU and GPU time for to help crunch these numbers that basically unlock protein alkalids that are viruses. You know, it helps deconstruct that cell. It tears that thing apart so that we can understand the inner workings of it so it doesn't mutate anymore and it doesn't kill people. Um, and the reason why I say this, I'm very passionate about this. Just this year alone, I've lost five family members just to COVID-19. And if you've ever had to go through funerals and all that kind of stuff, it sucks, you know, and, and watching your friends and family members die of something that could be prevented. And you know, there was something that you could do to stop it. Just please, please, please look at this project, install it on a, a, an older machine or a newer machine or a server or an HPC. It doesn't matter to me. And please help us try to find a cure 
for some of these imperable diseases that are destroying uh, not only our lives, but humanity. Absolutely. Well, Chip, I appreciate it. And uh, people who are listening, please go to Folding at Home and and, uh, download it. For you old schoolers, it's very similar to SETI at Home, (laughs) looking for alien life. (laughs) Oh yeah, SETI the, the <laughs> I, remember, I remember that one. Oh my god. Yeah. So it's go distributed is like called distributed high performance computing. <laughs> right. So if you get a chance, go to folding at home and download it and help help the cause. And with that, I'll close it out. Everybody have a good week and I will see you after Christmas. Uh, I won't be doing a podcast this week. Um enjoying my time with family and friends. So I will see you uh, probably early January. Uh, So until then, stay safe, patch your shit, and have a good night. Thanks, Chip. No problem, sir.